This podcast is proudly supported by Netflix presenting the extraordinary film Maestro. Nominated for eight Critics' Choice Awards, including Best Picture, Best Director and Actor Bradley Cooper, and Best Actress Carrie Mulligan. Cooper stars as Leonard Bernstein in this epic love story that chronicles the lifelong relationship of the legendary conductor-composer and his actress wife Felicia, played brilliantly by Carrie Mulligan. ABC News calls Maestro absolutely extraordinary. Brought to life through the acclaimed craftsmanship of its sound and cinematography. Leonard Bernstein prosthetic makeup designer Kazu Hiro undeniably transforms Cooper, Maestro, for your consideration in all categories. From Variety, celebrating more than 118 years covering the business of entertainment, this is the Award Circuit Podcast. For Danielle Brooks, taking on the role in The Color Purple, originally played by Oprah Winfrey, was quite a career moment. I feel that I was ready for this moment. Like, I feel like some things are just ordained for your life. And so I feel like this is definitely that moment for me. But I'm grateful that she gave me space to really show myself and what I can do as an artist and not get in the way of that. I'm Michael Schneider, and on this episode of the award-winning Variety Award Circuit Podcast, we talk to Danielle Brooks about the color purple. Also on this episode, the Iron Claw actor Holt McCallany talks about playing the legendary wrestler Fritz Von Erich in Sean Durkin's powerful drama. And on the latest edition of The Roundtable, we remember the late Andre Brower. It's all next on this edition of the Variety Award Circuit Podcast. Stay close. Hi, everyone. I am Variety TV editor Michael Schneider, joined by Janelle Riley, Jazz Tank. Hey, Janelle just waved. I did, well, I, because I was like, I don't want to interrupt. Michael's in a flow, and I yeah, don't want to interrupt. I was. So. I just, I love the wave. Uh, and Clayton Davis. <laughs> Waving two, two hands. Exactly, exactly. Uh, well, hello, everyone. And I feel like we're, we're constantly now having to start these uh, roundtables with devastating news mm. but we do have to talk about the late breaking news this week of uh, the passing of andre brower this one hurt this one stung deep i i mean obviously young he was just 61 so this came out of nowhere none of us were expecting it clearly it was a, a shock but also i mean is there anyone better than andre brower i think no, we've all had many. a chance no, no. to talk horrible. to him over the years yeah. interview him I had the honor of uh, writing the 2020 Variety t- uh, cover uh, with with Andre, and he was just a gem. Uh, did and, and I know Janelle, you did many panels with him. I did a bunch of panels with him through the years, both for Brooklyn Nine Nine and for Men of a Certain Age, and was always just a delight. Um, had a chance to sit next to him at a luncheon one time, and you know I don't even know where to begin. But the one thing that always struck me about him was what a family man he was. I remember sitting next to him at a Turner luncheon back in the mid 2010s when he was on men of a certain age and he was talking all about needing to get home to see his wife and his kids. And in my 2020 story, we talked a lot about how even though he was shooting Brooklyn Nine-Nine in Los Angeles, he would go home to the East Coast every single weekend and how important it was. He had three boys. He wanted to be present. He wanted to make sure that he was there as they were growing up and he wanted to be there for his wife. And when I think about how 
terrible, tra- terribly tragic his death is, I at least have this sort of solace in knowing that he was there for his family, that they spent all that quality time with him over the years, and and they'll have those memories and those moments to look back on. But still, gang, this one, this one cut deep. It yeah. it was hard. I remember, like, you know, there's been we've had quite a few losses lately, and I try to keep things in perspective. But this one was. You know, the it was unexpected. It was a great actor who'd done so much great work, but there was still so much greatness ahead. You could tell. I've been a fan since Homicide. I remember, you know, how he made history when he won his Emmy for Homicide. Um, I love that he basically was giving a very similar performance as he did on a, as a cop on Homicide in Brooklyn Nine-Nine, but it was just funny. Yeah, uh, <laughs> and there's a wonderful, if I may say so myself, one of my favorite uh, career Q and A's with him is online on the SAG After Foundation channel, and the whole thing is so funny because I occasionally try to get like a little bit silly and talk about like lighthearted things, and he just has he can't not give a brilliant, well thought out, sensitive answer even to the goofiest questions. Oh, so homework, kids. Go read Mike's cover story and go watch Janelle's conversation. But not in that order. Me first. <laughs> <laughs> but most importantly, then go back and watch, uh, you know, Brooklyn Nine-Nine, of course, but also Men of a Certain Age. Uh, Homicide is not streaming, unfortunately. Yeah, but- well, the, uh, shout out to uh, Allison Herman and her beautiful uh, tribute to him. And that's, you know, I, I knew who Andre Brower was for many years. But that he that's why he millennials nabbed him and took him for ourselves because Brooklyn Nine Nine was in the in a very long succession that we got to watch him just be brilliant and homicide is nowhere to be found. Uh, shout out well, physical, it's, it's, it's physical, physical media. media, yeah, exactly, yeah, physical media, DVDs, <laughs> baby, yeah. But you know, yeah, it 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 was very sad. It was like it it felt like gut punch, and in this time where. You know, it's it's Andre Brower, uh, Norman Lear, like kind of happening. And I'm like, where's the balance? Like one Henry Kissinger does not equal 30 of our good ones. So like, can we like balance this out a little bit and take some of the bad ones? Because this one, you know, it's one of those that you, d- you take one of those you don't know what you got till it's gone. Like I was waiting for like his big, like his next big moment that was going to come because I knew it would. And then we're like, oh, well, like, damn, like now. And I don't think he had anything coming too. I don't think there was no, anything. He, no, he was, he, he was Did working he on a show yeah. which was yeah. in, in the middle of shooting. So I'm not sure now. And, and mm. they haven't said what's going to happen. It's a Shondaland show. They're midway through shooting. And then the strikes uh, put things on hold and then uh. they haven't had a chance to uh, start it up again. So now it's unclear what's going to happen to that show. Um, I hope we see something though, because that'll be a chance yeah. to at least see him one more time. Yeah, that was the only thing on his docket, right? Was just that. I believe so. Yeah. yeah. Damn. But sounds but like he... Clayton has some ideas for who he wants to go next. No, oh, I, mean, I, 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 nice, <laughs> I do have a nice little list. Of, like, these well, are these are equivalent on the evil side of this is what equals an Andre Brower on that side, and feel free, yeah, universe, but. Still, nonetheless, like encouraging, like, you know, weird way, no bad work, like all the 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 outpouring of love was actually very, very 
heartwarming. It was like everyone recognizes that we lost someone good, and I, it's good yeah. when we're all on the same page because we not yeah. usually are, uh, but we we definitely got it together. And I, I I felt for a lot of people. I I was doing yeah. okay yesterday until I saw Mark Evan Jackson, who played his husband on Brooklyn Nine Nine, post mm-hmm. a photo of them. He had his arms around yeah. him, yeah, captain, yeah. Like, captain, and then it just. Ooh, floodgates opened. Yeah, yeah. I, I teared up writing your cover story. Mike. actually, I had never read it. It was before it was before I started here, and I knew he was on the cover. I just never got to it, and I got teary eyed there. And then I read Allison's uh, um, tribute, and I cried again. And I was like, "Damn!" Like it, it, it hits. Yeah, it does it hit. Hits hard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, like this one, this one oh. hit hard. And and you look at how many people that it hit too. Or you know, all the great people that he worked with. Uh, including, I mean, Janelle, you're about to talk to Ray Romano, uh, who worked, you know, again, great with him on, on men of a certain age. You know, I, I do, I do recommend, I think a lot of people missed that show because it was on Turner. Uh, but it is worth watching, especially as you get to becoming <laughs> of a certain age, which I'm already there. What, 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 are, you, what are you saying, Mike? There. <laughs> well, and I've talked to Ray Romano about this in the past and he always would specify that Andre was a little nervous because they would they would want to improvise sometimes like they'd be like well, you know let's do one for us and Andre was like I what, what he always said something like I respect the text because <laughs> I think he was nervous to improv and then when he did he was of course better than anyone at it yeah yeah I know he he was nervous uh, doing Brooklyn Nine Nine, even though he's one of the greatest actors uh, of our generation. You know, it, but but he cared so much about the craft and yeah. hearing all the stories from from his co stars about his singing on set, which we didn't even really get to see on on camera. But but apparently that's he did that all the time in his dressing room on set. Uh, would uh, you know croon songs? Uh, uh, even uh, you know songs like "Push It" by Salt and Pepper, like he... which he danced to. Look up if you haven't seen it. The clip of him and Terry <laughs> Crews dancing to Salt and Pepper on Brooklyn Nine Nine. Beautiful, it's beautiful. He's also one of the few thespians that, when he steps into comedy, immediately understands the assignment. He knows what Captain Holt was supposed to be for us. Like he, he like he played it so sincerely. He's like, it's so hard to be the funniest part on that show. And with he just like he just he just knew how to just be in stuff, <laughs> and that's like a very simple uh, order. Usually, like just be in the show and be amazing at it. And he was like, "Okay, I'll bring all the heart and energy that you need." Yeah, and yeah. should have won an Emmy for it too. Yeah. Does it? Does anyone have a? I have like so many favorite Holt moments. One is that he signs his texts sincerely, Raymond Holt. <laughs> uh, <laughs> the other is he calls his husband to say, you know, I can't make it tonight, but the tickets are under my name, Raymond Holt. That's H O L T. But my all my all time favorite Brooklyn Nine Nine line is someone says, you know, it's Gina says, you know, spill the beans, and he says. Why would you intentionally spill beans? <laughs> They're one of nature's most densely packed protein sources, and they remain unsullied by flavor. That is that that that's yeah. that's up there for me. And also, I, I, listen, Brooklyn Nine Nine pilot, I think, is one of the best pilots ever made in the last like twenty five years of just like knowing exactly what it was from the jump that presented like what was to come. And his dry humor on that pilot, man, I was like, oh, we're in for a ride, and it's going to be amazing. So I'm I, I'm. There are so many, but like, damn, man, Matthew Perry and Andre Brower, like, oh, gosh, not a good month, not a good no. year. Not a good year. Come, come on. 
we say this every year, right? It's like, yeah. come on, you got to do better. 2024. At end of the year, man. Uh, spoiler alert: 2024 is not going to be good. So let's let's not uh, let's not hope for what the best. What do you know that we year. don't? I don't I mean, know. But just, we just know. He's yeah. like the first week of January is is not even a great. I week do I do often say like like since like I say it with sincerity, we we often forget that the people we've loved our entire lives because we are getting to certain ages now at our live our, our points. A lot of our OGs are OGs up there and stuff. And like I always say, like, we have to prep ourselves for the next decade. It could be a really be bumpy ride. You know, in, a, in an internet era where people more people have discovered these people more than ever, it's it can be a really rough uh time. But this one is one of the ones you don't expect ever. Honestly, yeah. the last one that hit me this hard was Robin Williams. Mm. It did feel like yeah, it does feel similar to that. It felt like that in the sense of the entire world stopped for a second. The shock of it too. Yeah. So young and so didn't even know he was sixty one. By the way, like no, there's also better evidence. Black don't crack, man. He he, <laughs> he looked amazing for his age. And now I put my yeah. I was like he was in his fifties on Brooklyn Nine Nine, just running through that show like nothing. Right, right. He he could have been any he could have been any age. Yeah, and it's just ageless. So. Um, well, rest, rest in peace, Andre Brower. Uh, thank you for everything, man. It's yeah. Great. Yeah. Well, um, let's talk a little bit about nominations. This was a big week for <laughs> there were no nominations, no nominations. Big, big week. <laughs> oh, wait, Mike, can we do our annual plea? Um, the same thing happens at 8 a.m. That yeah. will happen at 5 a.m. Okay. Like well, it's yeah, fine. Let, let's, let's start with that. Like, yeah. why, why did we all have to wake up? Uh, you know, I, I went there to the Beverly Hilton. So I got up at, I got up at like 330 a.m. in order to be there uh, by, you know, 445. So I could, you know, when, when they announced at five, but that's no. Todd. Stop. No. Stop. Why that. did you have to be there live? I it's love like, how the VP before he announces, like, oh, you know, you guys feel free to scream and, and cheer and stuff like that. But like, not at 5 a.m., dude. Yeah. Like, you know what? Like, bring it, make it later, and then we'll, we'll, we'll yell and cheer. It's one thing getting up at that time for a flight at 6 o'clock in the morning. You don't need to do that for awards announcements. They always say it's for the East Coast, but it's like, come on, do better. Like, yeah, maybe, can we that, just... maybe that worked at a pre-internet era where that, that was it, but now you could just... Do announce it at any time. The news is going to get out. People are going to see it. It's fine. You, it Again, doesn't need to be live on the morning shows. Yeah, it doesn't. Again, make it a primetime special. Sell advertising. for it. Eight o'clock yep. at night. That way, the next morning, all the morning shows can cover it. You know, they I'm did. Uh, the, the, there was a period of time where the Oscars did do a primetime nomination special. When? when um, not, in, not in my lifetime. No, and actually <laughs> no. not even. I think it was like in the early 70s, so not even oh, in my lifetime. Okay. I think that was a thing at one point. Oh, my and then, God. And the Grammys occasionally do a primetime yep. nomination. Oh, thing. yeah, they, they, have done, they have done that a couple of times. Yes. But, I mean, I'm fine with, like, noon. It's, noon is fine. Listen, I'm okay with 8 a.m. Pacific time. Like, like listen, I mean, like, noon would be great, but 8 a.m., ADM is good because then you still have the full day to write all the analysis and and digest it. Yeah, eight or nine. Um, Lunch. Sorry, I was going to say like the Oscar nominations were great because they would be on our lunch break when I was living in the UK and it was like heaven. I mean, obviously the the punishment was that you'd have to stay up all night to watch the ceremony, but Mm -hmm. 
the actual norms. I know we, we, it giveth and taketh away. People always ask me, they're like, how does it feel to watch the Oscars when the sun's out? I'm like, that part actually is pretty cool. Yeah. Well, and this year, because it's even an hour earlier, I mean, we're going to be done with the Oscars by like 730. Yeah. I mean, that's pretty, I mean, that, that's I mean, amazing. That's I mean, pretty listen, great. And they have to be done at 730 because Abbott Elementary is going to come on right after. And well, it's, nothing it, ever has to be. They'll, they'll push <laughs> it and then suddenly <laughs> it'll still be like uh, at, at 11 o'clock on yeah. the East Coast. But that's, if that's fine. If that's not an Oscar episode of Abbott Elementary, they're doing it wrong. Like that has to be like Chris Parfetti's character throws an Oscar party and everyone comes over. And yeah. it's fun. Yeah. It and does, the kids it have does no clue. Necessary. And the kids have no clue. Uh, but yeah, let's. So going into Globes now, now we can talk about what the Globes actually did. <clears throat> Dare I say, not a bad Globes. Like we, uh, people have to remember, uh, not just new voters, but a lot of the old guard voters are gone. Many of them are, there's very little of them left. When you also expand to six nominees, it allows mistakes to be missed that normally would happen any other time but uh it's there was there was no renee zellweger bridget jones edge of reason type of nomination there were some omissions that like you know you can always like point out but i think they did a really good job like i think this is a good lineup wow wow so it worked you're you're, you're muted you know but they pulled it off (laughs) they did yeah, they sometimes get things right that other people don't. I mean, did, would, forget, correct me if I'm wrong. Didn't they recognize Dolly De Leon with an nomination? Yes. Yeah, they nominated yeah. Dolly. Yeah, Listen, yeah. also, the only other group aside from the Oscars that gave Moonlight Best Picture that entire season. So, yeah, sometimes they do get it right. But Barbie uh, led the fray with uh, nine nominations, tying for the second most in history next to Cabaret. And we always saw wow. like Barbie. Barbie is a cabaret of comedy movies, right? Like that's what of, it, of, of 2023. Yeah, well, but it also gets a cushion because it has three songs and has the new cinematic and box office achievement uh, category, which we can debate yes, for please, some time. Please let's <laughs> talk about that. <laughs> uh, I mean, listen, I think I get the, I got the what you were trying to go for, but when you already have Barbenheimer. I think it, you, you you could potentially step into this bad look if Barbie wins cinematic box office, which I think it is, but Poor Things wins comedy musical. So Barbie's the best movie that made $150 million and above, and then Poor Things is the best movie that didn't make that much money. That You start giving off that. You're not, you're not intending to say that, but that is essentially what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. But, it- I mean, you're not going to have like this. This was such an unusual year. You're not going to have a Barbenheimer every year. So yeah. it's it's kind of a odd year for them to finally have this. But yeah, I would um, also say if you are going to do the category, make it a people's choice. category. Let people vote. Let like the general audiences vote on that category then and then award a Golden Globe. Like yeah, then. But, but but then it's the Snyder cut every year. I mean, yeah. <laughs> no, they would only vote on the winner, wouldn't they? Could we? And that's the other thing. Like some people were asking me like, well, you know, isn't this just determined by the biggest box office number? Like it's it's weird. And but my understanding is they I don't know how they decided who the nominees were. They, they, um, they, they, I mean, it, eligible well, films were if you made 150 million and above. That's what it was. So that, yeah. so now they're saying like what was the best of these movies that made the most money? Yeah. OK. 
but then you have those movies also in this picture. Yeah. So that's why it gets like it. That's why it could be it also be hilarious. Like, let's just say uh, I don't think there's anything that's crossed over uh, in the comedy side. But like if Oppenheimer, let's say Oppenheimer lost that race to like something like Super Mario Brothers. But Super Mario also loses the animated feature like it, it, it all just gives off very muddy messages. So that's what I'm just saying. But nonetheless, um oppenheimer did very well got everything it was supposed to uh eight nominations very good day killers and poor things seven uh two non-english language movies and best picture which could repeat at the oscars and this is only like the third year that that's been eligible right because yeah yeah they changed it after the farewell year i actually wonder oh i thought it was the um minari year Oh, that's what I meant. Wait, no. Oh, yeah. Pharaoh was the last of it. Minari was the next year. So 2020. Yeah. Um, I actually wonder where Past Lives would have fallen in previous years because it has, uh, like Minari, it has a significant amount of dialogue in another language. Well, it got nominated in International Feature. So that answers my question. Yeah, there you go. It, got, it got both those both those nominations, which is fine. You know, I think it's the way you uh, – Categorizes category is fine. Maestro being in Best Picture was really good for it, especially Bradley getting to director. Because he, need, he needs every mention he can get as a director because we know actors turn directors are treated sometimes. Uh, it's a little di- more difficult for them to get into Oscar lineups because those directors love to make you wait and pay your dues. Um, I found it interesting or fascinating that we had the color purple show up in acting, but not for comedy mm. musical that boy my tweet did not age well because i literally <laughs> tweeted 12 hours before it's gonna be a great day for the color purple i i had that like it's funny like always final predictions you change you you when you do final predictions you change your mind you should have just stuck with the original i had a color purple out <laughs> and I, and i told myself like i think it's just gonna miss i think it's gonna miss i think it was a little too late and i think it's just gonna miss and air will get in and then when I did the final prediction, in the meantime, I said, Jazz is over there calling Joaquin Phoenix for Bo is Afraid. I have no Good idea call. where that came from. I was like, you know, because this is still like to your point about the, the new body, but there's still like a lot of the globy you know, things like, to do. <laughs> they're, they, I'm like, they're going to do something globy. Where are they going to do it? And I was like, they do like Joaquin Phoenix. Is it Napoleon? Is it Bo? And I was like, you know, I don't feel they like Napoleon. I'm a yeah. Bo. And I left it. So to your point of not Good changing guess. anything. Yeah. And then that was that was that. So uh and then the, all the other usual suspects uh were there. Bummed that Sterling K. Brown missed, uh, but he came back with Critics Choice today. And America Ferrer missed Globe, but came back with Critics Choice today. So I think we have a nice little race. Uh on hand and you're talking again but you're muted janelle riley (laughs) (laughs) yes i'm trying to be polite i'm in a library um uh, i was just going to say jodie foster scored both critics choice and golden globe noms for naiad and she revealed this morning this is her first critics choice award nomination no way that that makes well that makes sense because she she like 29 years they've been around i know but not like those that's post uh accused in silence of the lambs so and and after nell so the only other time we would have really had a shot would be mauritanian which we probably should have that's a very good performance so that actually makes a little bit of sense 
But uh, Nyad, I think, listen, I think because uh, depending on how you feel, if Annette Bening's still in it or not, she missed Critics' Choice today. It's always really hard to be the sole acting nominee of your movie. Obviously, some people do it all the time. We saw Brian Tyree Henry, Henry do it last year for Causeway. Um, but, you know, she'll, she'll, she's in a, a very thick fighting category uh, with Rosamund Pike for Saltburn. And Saltburn got Best Picture today at Critics' with Choice. Choice? Yeah. But, but not Rosamund Pike, which makes no sense to me. So weird. And also, um, Barry Keoghan got Not it. at Critics' Choice, but at Globe. Uh, in for uh, Globes, yeah, which made me very happy. It's just interesting. Um, oh, Peaches got in for song both times, ah! which is podcast last week. Jack Black, man, he's coming. Saying I, that. I, I hope I hope he gets it. Coming for Peaches. Coming for Peaches. Um, and then just want to uh, wrap up so Mike can be part of this conversation. The TV side of Golden Globes. Um, Nineteen twenty three. Congratulations, finally getting into a drama lineup. Yeah, I mean. Uh, uh... <laughs> Finally, T- Taylor Sheridan gets uh, some love for that, and also for Bass Reeves. Uh, yeah. So there, there is some love there. Bass Reeves is so good. I haven't watched that yet, and I'm so I, I felt good. I called the David Oyelowo thing because that that felt like something that would happen. But a lot yeah. of people have sworn by that. But they had a real again TV side. They usually do favor uh, newer shows. The Crown first show I think ever in history to be nominated for every season at the Globes. They, right. They've never but, gone and, full seasons, like full series of a show. Or for, for long-running series. Yeah. Because there are plenty of shows that have lasted one year, and they got nominated for the entire <laughs> run. Mike is going to add to work around. A little asterisk there. But no, it, it's what's interesting is, uh, you're right, this year, uh, for the most part, uh, they're staying with uh, shows that have already been recognized by the Emmys. There, there aren't a lot of... New shows that are jury mother effing duty, Hell yeah. jury duty. Yes. but nominated first by the Emmys. Boy, Emmy, I'm telling Emmys you, had it I first. really think it's a threat for the Emmys. I think so a little bit too. I mean, listen, I'm I'm sticking with my Marsden thing until the day I die. What is the mar- that he'll win? I think he's winning. Oh no, I think he's actor winning comedy. Too. Yeah. I think yeah. he's going to win. I'm very curious to see um, SAG, who I would think would recognize great acting and level of difficulty more than anyone. Curious to see if the ensemble gets nominated, but also if Marsden gets singled out since they don't have a supporting category per se. Interesting question. Is Ronald Gladden eligible for cast ensemble? No, right? I don't think so. I don't think so. I've heard different things, but yeah. Ooh. That's I would have wanted the Globes to do Ronald Gladden just because, just to be like, yeah, we're gonna do that. It. That that would have been fun. That would have yeah. been something to talk about. I would have predicted that's... him for the rest of the. I'm like, that's it. He's winning. It's gonna be great. We're all gonna love it. Um, but, but Succession. Yeah. I mean, again, I mean, you, you you gotta give a shout out one one last hurrah for Succession, uh, leading the pack with nine nine. Every every actor repeated at the <laughs> Emmys from the Emmys, except for Nicholas Braun or cousin Greg. Cousin Always Greg. Getting... Always getting the shit. <laughs> makes sense. That makes sense. Uh, yeah. But yeah. Uh, and then there's that, the stand up comedy category, which I don't know. What, what, what we do, do we need that? I, I do. No, I like the recognition of the category. I just feel like they're not watching. No John Mulaney for starters. No John Mulaney yeah. is so pronounced. It's like, I, what are we doing? What I, I find think that, it, yeah, I, I just I find it weird that, you know, they're 
there's no unscripted category. There, there's so many categories that they don't have at the Globes, but then suddenly they just cr- crammed in a stand-up category. Like, why that? I think, well, I think stand-up could be arguably one of the things that consumers probably watch the most that they can easily just watch and discover as opposed to a TV series or a limited series. They have to dedicate all this time. And we go out have a quick take on a 45 minute, you know, 60 minute special. But based on this lineup, that includes Ricky Gervais, Trevor Noah, Chris Rock, Amy Schumer, Sarah Silverman, and Wanda Sykes. It, it screams to me, we're going to go with the ones that are established names and not like some of the more buzzy talked about ones from people that, you know, maybe aren't well known as stand in the stand-up world, but still delivered great stuff. Like Mark Mary not being there, I think is also a little pronounced. It's like, like I, I, I think the special was good. I love Tom Segura's special. I think he's, I think he was fantastic. I love Marlon Wayne's special. I love Jim Gaffigan's special. Oh yeah, no, Jim is also sucky. So a lot of this, like, it was just like, come on, guys. But but, but you mean again, the omission is sucky, not Jim himself? Oh no, Jim is the best. <laughs> He's the greatest. I mean, they they miss an opportunity to do an unscripted category where they could have Vanderpump and and uh, Love Is Blind and and all that stuff uh, show up and and get some some buzz. Uh, it, you know, because you, you can only have so many categories. Uh, they they you know they they limit on the TV side, and I get it. But then to kind of cram in a a, a random stand up category just seems odd to me. But it is. Can I ask, can I ask you something, Mike? And I guess yeah. this is for everyone, but mostly for Mike. I think this is the beginning of brie larson time for emmys next year for lessons in chemistry loved lessons in chemistry feels I like it an improvement on the book oh well i don't, I don't read so i don't know. i i don't read either so <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> why read but, when it's on tv <laughs> why read when you can look at the pictures yeah look at the pretty people doing yeah. pretty things to um, your point no. Sorry, no, I was going to say, we had a variety lessons in chemistry event at Lynn McDonough, and that place was packed, and Brie wasn't even there. So, yeah, maybe there is a lot of love for that show. Don't uh, underestimate I, I, it. Yeah, for sure. I have to also give a shout out to the Globes doing two animated features outside of the category, because uh, Spider-Verse and Boy in the Heron scores are gorgeous. And I think that's mm-hmm. going to translate to Oscar. And I'm glad that they recognized it because, by the way, that race where we thought it was all done for Spider-Verse a few months ago, I think it's tightening considerably at yeah. the moment. And I think we have to fight a little harder, uh, depending on, and listen, both are great, appropriate one, two of the season, um, but it's going to be a, a little messy death match. Well, let's let's end things back on the cinematic and box office achievement award because <laughs> ultimately, ultimately, it's 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 T Swizzle, right? It's uh, I mean, to... I think, I mean, yeah, she saved theaters. I mean, don't tell Barbenheimer that, but yes, <laughs> but I I I wonder if Taylor just, I mean, like that's a that's a very globy thing to do, by the way, because she's yes. not eligible for Oscar, so. Which I don't know yet if she's eligible for Emmys. Should look into that. Find out. Yeah, because I mean, it opened theatrically first. So I don't know how that goes. So yeah, I think they might just give it to Taylor. I love that AMC Theaters is a distributor. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, because it was, it was. So it was. I mean, whatever it takes to get her in the front row, right there, uh, sitting there talking to the still unnamed host. 
of, of uh, the Globes. <laughs> I was about to say, we do know it's Anthony Anderson. That's for the Emmys. That's the Emmys. They Which finally did announce that. the Emmys, but we're still waiting on Globes. Maybe, maybe just get Taylor to host the Globes. And she's not going to be on tour at that point, so she's... Is she not? No, her international tour starts in February. Oh, so she's... Come on, Clayton, how could you not know that? I mean, she Even I knew that. She brings Travis Kelsey to the ceremony, right? Like, he's coming to the Globes. By the way, shout out to Travis Kelsey for being a really great Saturday Night Live host, because that's how I was aware. Oh, he's great. Travis Kelsey hosts the Globes. There you go. Actually, what? It would be great. He actually he is he he's really a very fu- he's a very funny guy. Yeah. By the Think way, of the viewership that would be the huge. numbers. All right, let's uh, by the let's ooh, get, by get the Tim way, Gray just, on the phone. Just, can we, can we call a, Tim? Just a qu- quick idea. I wanted to just I want to throw this out there and begin with this. Do you think S because SNL isn't eligible for like the comedy series categories, but I think the actors might be. How would you feel about the host being? Uh, lumped in with the stand-up comedy category at the Globes. Mm, I think it's a very different skill. Think so? Okay. You're just yeah. even more chaos. I was, I was just, I was like, <laughs> mush them together. Just throw in anyone, and then mush them. Why uh, are you choosing yeah. violence, Clayton? Stop it, Travis Kelsey. Kelsey, Kelsey. Oh, that's a new idea. That that is the best idea I've heard yet. Travis hosts the Globes. It would that's be. It spectacular yeah yeah i guess it depends oh, i don't think how... he can though because there's just a i was gonna say <laughs> i was gonna say it depends what how his day job is going <laughs> how, wait i'm sorry i don't i don't know who watches football here do we know how his team is doing like are they supposed to be making the super bowl this year again do we know no. um no, we're no, such I, such journalists we're such writer journalists i can't i'm so disgusted with no all I, I don't think gonna so. Be so disappointed in us for not knowing yeah Right, because it's it's uh, Kansas City, right? How are they doing this yeah. season? I don't know. Uh, we don't have. But this is not a I, sports I, podcast. I, yeah. <laughs> unless unless the Giants get into it, I do not pay attention to football, and they're being terrible right now. So that's it. Uh, next week we have uh, nothing. Next week, th- not, nobody this week. I was thinking about like awards coming up. Oh, oh sorry. Yeah. Oh yeah. I don't I think so. oh, we do have yeah. guests this week. This week we have speaking of color purple. Miss Danielle Brooks, <gasps> her Lord and Majesty, who's just can't wait. The, the best, and Holt McCallany, the dad from Iron Claw. Ooh. Kansas City Chiefs are at the top of the AFC West. Thank you. Bye. Uh, <laughs> Jazz knew that off the top of her head. She just remembered. So who knows? Maybe they're even playing a game that day. So it might be a little tough for him to host the the Globes. But it was a great idea in theory. It was. Maybe next time. All right, gang. There's Travis's mom. I think she's very funny, too. That's true. That's true. The extended extended Kelsey family. Um, We'll see. All right, gang. See you next week. Bye. Bye. After the break, we talk to the Color Purple star, Danielle Brooks. From Los Angeles, this is the Award Circuit Podcast.
This podcast is proudly supported by Netflix presenting Rustin. Now nominated for two Golden Globe Awards and two Critics' Choice Awards, including Best Actor, Coleman Domingo, and Best Original Song, Road to Freedom by Lenny Kravitz. Domingo stars as Bayard Rustin, the architect of the 1963 March on Washington, featuring an original score by Branford Marsalis. ABC News calls Rustin extraordinary and Coleman Domingo a thrilling tour de force. Rustin, for your consideration. And we're back. It's the Variety Award Circuit Podcast. I'm Michael Schneider. Danielle Brooks is having one of the most significant moments in her career, playing Sophia in The Color Purple, a role that she portrayed on Broadway and received her first Tony nomination. It wasn't easy for the critically acclaimed performer to get here, though. As the spirited and no-nonsense wife to Harpo, played by Corey Hawkins, Brooks's Sophia is positioned as the hopeful and joyous anchor in a narrative that, at times, carries a thematic weight, craving moments of levity. Today, our teacher taught us about a place called Africa. She say our mamas come from Queens over there. That means that we? Royalty. <laughs> I don't you to love me afternoon i need me a wife even if we have to part you and me us, us have, have one heart i don't need get off my land you harass you every day nothing but death can keep me from it You must ain't got no kinfolk around these parts. All I had was my sister. <laughs> she was the only one ever loved me. I'm gonna hold my head up. I'm gonna put my shoulders back. It's time for you to see the world. There's gonna be some changes made. Put it on. This ain't me. Hush. We need to look like we belong. Now see the smile and color. <gasps> oh, sweet and loving God. Writers Clayton Davis recently spoke with Brooks about landing the role once portrayed by Oprah Winfrey in the 1985 version of The Color Purple. She also talks about the lessons she learned after not being cast in the film adaptation of The Piano Lesson and what we can expect from her upcoming movie, Mindhunter. They began by talking about what it was like for Brooks to take on such an iconic role. Big shoes to fill. Yeah. Huge mm. shoes to fill. Yeah. I mean, I've always kind of looked at, thank you for sharing that about mm. your brother, by mm. the way, too. I mean, that's the beauty of this story that it's so immersed with our families. Yeah. You know what I mean? And our culture. And um, so that's a beautiful thing. Yeah. I've always looked at this as like a cinematic heirloom for us. Mm. Um, you know, an heirloom is something that you treasure, you want to hold on to, you want to. Make sure that you protect it, yep. and that is what I feel like we've been doing. It's something that comes from those that come before you, like the Whoopies, like the Oprahs, and then you want to pass it on, and that's what we're doing here with um, this story and making this reimagination, reimagined version of The Color Purple. Um, stepping into the shoes of Oprah... <laughs> I'm first grateful for, I mean, not too many people can say that, you know, I don't, you know, that they have this experience. Um, but at the same time, like, I feel that I was ready for this moment. Like, mm -hmm. I feel like, 
You're not prepared for this. Yeah, yeah. like some things are just ordained for your life. Mm-hmm. And so, um, yeah, I feel like this is definitely that moment for me. Um, but I'm grateful that she gave me space to really show myself and what I can do as an artist um, and not get in the way of that. She really held my hand when I needed it because I definitely did need it on this journey. Um, It was one that depleted me at the end. I was very tired mentally and physically. Mm. (laughs) Uh, So I thank her for that. But just really giving me the space to do my thing and shine. I think uh, Taraji said it in a QA and a the day I saw the film about this was almost like therapy for a lot of you guys. You guys were like working through some... Things personally, because it it would bring up a lot of things that you thought you pushed away or forgot about. Yeah, I mean, painful reminder. Yes, definitely. I mean, the story, the fundamentals of the story is about forgiveness. It's about love. It's about coming into yourself. All the things that you have to go through being a human being on this earth. So there is no way in the world that the actors are not going to be changed after playing these parts. Um. What was the most nervous or gut-wrenching feeling of anxiety that you felt on set uh, in terms of scene for you to do, especially maybe one that Oprah was there oh my for? Gosh. So many. So many. Um, I, I just I just think about like I, I think about you getting being grant like you know you get the role yeah and then like when I think of like everyone probably when you think of Oprah you think of you told Harpo to beat me like that was it literally the line that was it she was there for it yes <laughs> think, look the thing is I've done this as you know on Broadway for mm-hmm. a year of my life she was around during that time because she was a producer on that revival in 2015 but there's something about it because. I was doing theater. That's my world. You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? It's a different medium than movies. Mm -hmm. That's her space, you know? And what she's done, she's left such a legacy with that character that it's one of the most iconic characters in the canon. Mm -hmm. And the most iconic line is, you told Hoppo to beat me. And oh my gosh, she happened to be there. (laughs) And I tried to be calm. Like, I truly tried to center myself. Like, I even pulled out, like, Viola Davis's book (laughs) and was sitting in the corner in my Sophia outfit trying to, like, zen out. Because I really admire Viola. So I was like, maybe if I read this book, there'll be some wisdom in here to calm my nerves. Um, So when they tell you to open the Bible randomly to find the book, like, that will help me today. That's exactly what I did. Thank, and, thank uh, you, Viola Davis, oh for my God. always bringing joy. <laughs> oh, but somebody like from the crew kind of warned me that she was going to be on set, and I was like, mm. "Thank you for doing that," because I think if I would have just seen her, I would have been like really it. freaked out. But I really had to tell myself, like, "Dee, this moment is bigger than you and your fear of doing this line in front of Miss O." Like, I think that I would do myself a disservice if I get in my own head right now. Yeah. So just lock in with Fantasia. Which you have, which is crazy because when Miss O did it, mm-hmm. Whoopi was not there for that scene. Whoopi was not. When she tells the story, um, she did it in front of a clipboard. She oh. she delivered that scene and that those lines in front of a clipboard. I had no idea. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Which is makes her even more brilliant. Like to me. yeah, <laughs> yeah. A more in admiration of her craft. Um, but yeah, so like just lock in with Celie and. Go into what this moment is. You know, she told Harpo to beat you. And it's changing the trajectory of the beautiful relationship of breaking generational curses that you've created with Harpo. Focus on that. 
and and I remember afterwards, Miss O and I found each other. We hugged. We both cried. And she said, you did it. You did it. And that, I oh, man, broke me, man. To have the legendary, the goat of all mm. goats, tell you you did it. And you know what I love about the movie in that scene? And by the time this comes out, the movie's not out yet, so I don't want to like try to. I'm also, it's the color purple. I mean, you should just know the color <laughs> purple, but like, not really a big spoiler, but spoiler in the film. I think why I loved that scene so much because the, the, the line is so iconic and so legendary, but the way Blitz edited and then filmed it. It is kind of a breeze through of that line because it's really mm-hmm. about hell no. Like that's mm-hmm. the that's the number. And I was so happy that he chose not to try and recreate mm-hmm. moments that coming out the field, yeah, the corn. But like, yeah, and yeah. yeah. Like he was like, listen, like you know that I've, we've seen that already. We've seen it done. So let me give you something else to add because now I'll have hell no for we got for, hell, hell no, no for, the, for the rest of my life. My, my my favorite, my, I called it the cell block tango of Ooh, color purple. That's, that's dope. That's what it felt like. I love that relationship. Mm. That's pretty fun, man. It was, it was that, that moment. I was like, oh, this is special. Like this yeah. is this is something different. Um, look at looking at your career and uh, the world learned of. Uh, I say the world at large learned of you uh, because of Tasty on Orange and New Black, twenty eleven, twelve, twenty twelve, twenty twelve, yeah. Um. The journey, the last decade, what has it been like to get here? I'm sure easy and fine and nothing. No, man. Sure. Oh, no, oh, easy. Nothing, easy. Nothing worth doing is going to be easy, man. It's had some beautiful moments. I had such great time doing Orange is the New Black had beautiful moments getting to be in color purple at the same time. A lot of people don't know that I did orange is new black and, um, color purple on Broadway at the same time. Um, doing that was great, but even that came with a lot. Um, some people know, some people don't know because I felt so much pressure and I had heard so many no's before those two projects that, um, when I, was in the role of color purple or Sophia in the color purple in 2015. Uh, and I had gotten Tony nominated. I was starting to go through a lot of anxiety and I was like in therapy. Like I even called out the day after hearing about the Tony nomination. Cause I was like imposter syndrome mm. on a thousand. I was like, I don't know how I got here. I'm not the girl. And, um, and it was really hard to get on stage every night. And it was singing Hell No that really pulled me through because it was my way of saying Hell No to not believing that I am worthy of this moment. I am worthy of this moment. And I had got to work through that every night, eight shows a week. And so um, there's been moments of feeling like I'm not enough. I'm not talented enough. Um, uh, I just doubt. Yeah. Uh, but I've come to the other side, mm-hmm. man. I've come to the side. And I think really what I had to go through is like, I did all, I always knew I had the talent, but it was like, I yearned for the validation. Mm. It's funny you, you say that because during 
you, the the Q and A for the when I saw the film for the first time, you said I'm working on trying to receive this. Yeah, and that. I, I can identify a lot. And I don't, th- mm. I don't think this is unique to just art, like acting in arts. Mm-hmm. You, you find that in anything that you attain for. We have dreams and we want to do things. And we everyone has dreams of being something or doing something. But then when they come true, or come th- then it's like, wait, like, wait, wait. Like, yeah. like I, it was just a dream. Yeah. Like, I, I, I didn't th- – like, because – and I felt this – even working at Variety, I felt it. You're like, I know they're – better writers out there i know i've seen them yeah. i've i've read their stuff there's so many more people talented so i don't know why me and i'm sure you that's exactly kind of what you're like why yes. like that's it clayton yeah. and i think that's what i've been hitting on is like why not you mm-hmm. why not you why not you yeah you have put in so and i think of my journey i put in so much work i've had personal work yeah. i'm not even saying like you know, the work of, you know, doing all these shows and guest starring, which is a climb. I've done all of it mm. at this point. Every voiceover and renovation shows, mm. I've done a lot of stuff. Yeah. But personal work on myself to understand that I am truly worthy of these things that are coming my way. And not only that I'm worthy, that most of it ain't got nothing to do with me. Mm-hmm. It has to do with the growth of someone else Mm. and their journey. That's what I think about when I think about when I was 15 and I watched The Color Purple in 05, the Broadway show, and the beautiful performances that I witnessed in LaChance and Felicia P. Fields and Elizabeth Withers and Renee Goldsberry, Mm. the list goes on, all that whole cast. They were brilliant because I needed them to be brilliant. So that I could see that in myself. And that's what this moment is. God will lead you to what you need to be, where you are with variety, where I am in my career, for the next person, for the next generation. And also so that you have a testimony too, yeah. because if we got everything we wanted, like what You're we like, really care, pretty, yeah, like, of really course, like, yeah. yeah. But you need the trial and truth. Like I, mm. more, the more. I grow and the more older I get, the more I understand like what my manager has been saying forever. Mm -hmm. Like people that love me, my family has been saying forever is about really living in the process, like being okay with the journey. That's really been tough because our culture is so focused on getting to the thing. You want the thing, Mm -hmm. the accolade. I want the reward. I want Mm -hmm. the, job whatever it is but the the journey is really beautiful too and i think that's truly what the color purple is trying to teach us when mm. like suge says like piss god off you walk past the color purple and don't notice it that's mm. what it is it's taking these moments and taking people in seeing them taking in the trees and as cheesy as it is there really truly is beauty in everything if you take a minute and 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 be with that and not continue to just always be chasing the thing chasing Mm. the thing you'll actually realize you have way more of what you want than if you had the thing i'm so glad you said that because you know color purple initially when you first like think about it people think of you know the the bad things about that happened in color purple bad things happen to ceiling we don't talk enough about the beauty that is in the color purple, the the adversity that that's overcome the like everything. It, it's just, it, you really put that into some, some perspective. 
if you indulge me for a second, we have to talk some shit about somebody. That's oh, Corey yeah. Hawkins. <laughs> we gotta bring that. We gotta bring that boy down a notch, I man. I can talk so oh, yeah. much shit listen, about. I, listen, don't tell him. <laughs> I love Corey Hawkins. Yeah. Like, I love that. He's man. a special gem. He's a special. But also, like, I hate Corey Hawkins because he's, he's too talented. Like, he's, oh, he's really talented. I don't know why he isn't like running shit yet. Like, and I saw him in this, and I was like, why? Is, why is he such a good dancer? Like, why is he I just? Good? I saw him in Macbeth, and, yeah, and, and I'm just like, he's got the Shakespeare. So, down. like, and you guys are you know old Juilliard uh, yeah. classmates, maiden in together, yeah. uh, class of fifteen, I believe, or eighteen. We graduated 2011. No, no, but uh, you you got accepted in a class of I think eighteen or oh yeah, yeah, eighteen. 18. 18 people, 18, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, I remember him uh, mentioning yeah. that. So that that that's that's family now at this point. It goes For way sure. before. So what what is that relationship? I guess that friendship Bro. been like. I am so blessed to have him in my life. Because when you talk about the trials and tribulations, he's been one of those people that have been there through everything. And has been so generous with his time and his energy to pour into me mm-hmm. when I've wanted to give up. And there have been moments I've wanted to give up. And he's just like, D, keep pushing, baby. You got this, girl. Even with the journey of Color Purple, like I called on him because he was the first one to book this. Yeah. And mind you, me and Fantasia, we've been in this, you know, we've gotten some accolades. Mm -hmm. He booked this before anyone. And I called him. I was like, Corey, they want me to do a chemistry read with you. (laughs) Like, but I've known you forever. Like, he's known me since I was 17 years Mm -hmm. old. And we Mm -hmm. know each other very intimately. And um, he helped me, like, figure out how to set up the camera for Zoom and, like, how would I come into the shot for the scene? All these these things that trip me up all the time. Like, if you want to hire me, just hire me because this auditioning thing, <laughs> I'm going to mess up. Just be ready. Just okay? stressing just, you just, out. It's not my thing. <laughs> yeah. So just hire me, okay? Um, <laughs> well, at least not do Zoom. Like, call me in. Yeah, Let me yeah come call inside. me in. Yeah. Well, but even then. I, I can't like, be a <laughs> I, I can't be a cinematographer. Dan Watson is like right. a very special man. Right, right, right. Oh, man. So, yeah, he is very special. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, so I just am so indebted to uh, him and grateful for our friendship. Um, man, I, words really can't even express it. Yeah. Um, words really can't express it. And I'm just grateful that he's, like, really championing me. Um, because I cannot wait for him to have his blown out moment. Mm -hmm. He is so deserving. His talent is unmatched. As you said, the man can sing and dance and. Dude be working. See what you're doing. Dude be working. Did you see like, like (laughs) the, um, vampire joint when he, the dialect, Uh, the British dialect. We don't get that often. He was killing it. So I'm saying, like, see, we're straight like, out of Compton oh to um, in the Heights. I mean, so it's I'm excited to see where his career takes off. Um, and just for him to say the other day when we, we did our first Q and A, like I just wanted to be her Harpo is just so generous mm. and so kind. And he that is who he is yeah. at the core. That's not 
no fake shit, to be yeah. honest. Like, yeah. it's not. That's really who he is. And um, I think that's why his career has been so luxurious, because he he is the person that he walks in to be every day. A good human. I said talk shit, but I get it. <laughs> I get, no. But, uh, There's no way yeah, I could No, no, but he, he, he honestly is, like, it's 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 really great. Um, yeah. So I'm always, I, well, I get very grateful for Hollywood for, like, embracing these moments where we have a Danielle Brooks that's making a moment. <laughs> but I have to all the time. Like, great, I'm glad that you're giving us this moment now. I'm worried about the – I'm looking at the next one. Yeah, yeah. What, what is Danielle Brooks' next joint? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I believe the only thing I've seen on the IMDb page as a Minecraft uh, movie coming out. Yeah, man. You I guess it? I can be my first time saying it out loud. It's, it's happening. It's happening. <laughs> it's happening. It's really cool. What? Uh, any expectation? Ex- what can we expect? I'm sure you could just tell us everything about it, right? Right. I can it's, tell it's you. It's a very everything. unknown IP. <laughs> I think it's going to be really exciting because of the cast. Um, it's not finalized by any yeah. means, but I'm excited to work yeah. with some of these people that are like, comedian geniuses mm-hmm. that will go down in history in my head in, yeah. you know in my world um so i'm excited to see like the combination of all of us together yeah uh but look i'm still trying to figure out this minecraft world <laughs> myself you know like this is a dream on the computer and playing video games still trying Bro, to, like, trying, i'm talking to the kids <laughs> I'm yes, talking to these teenagers. I'm like, so tell me about this wood chopper yeah. thing and these pigs. Can you explain this to me? Like, I'm talking to my neighbor's kids yeah. randomly because they come into the de- the, my house with the bikes and the Minecraft shoes. And yeah. I'm like, what is this? Tell me about it. <laughs> yeah. I, I asked my daughter to explain uh, Fortnite to me, and it was probably the most disconnected we've ever been as father and daughter. I was like, what? what? I was like, you're, you're like, she could have been cursing me out for all I know. And it was just like, it was not computing. And I was like, did I get to that age now that, like, like what are those kids listening to and doing? Yeah. Can't understand it. She yeah. Like, I don't know how that happened. I think we're at that point. No, it's not. No, we're not. Um, so <laughs> it's a, I would like to, because, you know, some people are new to the band. I've known the band for quite some time. It's been a decade. I know who Danielle Brooks is. Mm-hmm. She's been killing it. But curious to know where you grew up and what was it, mm. the film or the piece of music, art, whatever it was that mm. kind of put the claw in you and you were like, I got to go be an actor. Church. Church. C-H-U-R-C-H. That was it for me. I grew up in church 25-8. It's mm-hmm. there every day, every hour. And it was the best training for me because this correlation between theater mm-hmm. and church are so similar. From having a choir as an ensemble, having a program mm-hmm. as a playbill, having, you know, uh, to speak the text, which is the scriptures. And at the end of the day, even having the preacher as like the leading man. End of the day, the goal is to move the viewer, the audience, the congregation. And I got to watch when it worked when it didn't work, mm-hmm. you know, I actually got to participate singing on the choir. Um, I was, you know, I was a part of every aspect of it, whether I was the in the audience or in the congregation or 
performing myself or reading the scripture at church or saying the prayer. Um, it was my mini training for acting. Mm. Um, and I loved it. I loved it. I did my first church play when I was six, um, which my mom played my grandmother and her best friend wrote it. And like, uh, so it's always been like what I know that is what brought me to the love of it. Um, you know, yeah. Mm. Uh, little tidbit that I, I want to know if you, I mean, you might be aware or may not. Uh, I'm, I'm usually a well of useless knowledge that t- t- kind of does nothing for you in life. But, I love but it. It's, but it's good uh, talk at a party. Uh, <laughs> you're sitting with the awards editor of Variety, so let's put put that out there. Let's go. Because there's some <laughs> some Oscar buzz oh, uh, for for regarding your work, and something I want to point out: Color Purple, the 1985 version, has uh, two bits of Oscar history that's tied to it, uh, both. Fortunate and unfortunate. Uh, unfortunately, big is the most uh, losses of a film in Oscar history. Went over eleven. One of two. They tied that and a uh, turning point from seventies. Hmm. Uh, the other fact is, it's the only movie in history. Ninety six years we're coming on now, where three black women were nominated from the same movie. Mm. Oprah, Margaret Avery. Whoopi, yeah, Whoopi, Margaret, Whoopi, and Oprah. Oprah. I was yeah. like, I was like, wait, yeah. I was like, couldn't realize was that Whoopi and Oprah, um, which is like fact that that was the first, and then we've had none since. And you, Fantasia, Taraji, maybe looking to duplicate that. What does the the fathomability? I guess if that's even a word of something like that happening for you. I mean, Tony nomination, great. And now, if an Oscar nom came, what what would that feel like for you? I think it goes back to our earlier conversation about the validation thing mm. and the work that I've had to that I truly believe God has had to go in there and recalibrate some things for me mm. and what's important and what's not. Um, I'm not going to sit here and say that. That's not something I have dreamed of. I've Everyone watched. dreams about it. Everyone do, done the the speech in the shower with the shampoo know. bottle. You already know. It's okay to dream it. And I have cried watching legends get these mm. moments, have these moments. Yeah. And it's changed my life. It's put a battery in my back, <laughs> you know, to like go out there and really give it my all in every project that I do because I know the impact that it's had on my life. And I truly want that for somebody else to find their purpose. Right. But my God, (laughs) when you talk about full circle moments that could potentially happen, Mm -hmm. not just for me. And that's also what goes back to that cinematic heirloom for me is like, this means something to them, too. These yeah. legends, Whoopi, Margaret, Oprah, what they've given us. And for it to potentially happen would not just be a moment for myself, but it would be a moment shared with so many women. Mm-hmm. And I also like feel like it would be shared for women that never got 
the recognition yeah. in Hollywood. I think about, you know, um, Hattie McDaniel and how she was like playing over 70 plus mammies. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. But there were so many other Hattie McDaniels. And so for them to kind of get a moment to shine or, yeah. or do that for them, I, I would be so honored to stand in the gap for them. Yeah. Uh, so beautifully said. It was like to drop the last fact. You know, listen, we know that it's disproportionately not equal here in Hollywood, especially for black women. And I, uh, the dirtiest fact I have, it's a dirty fact, over 3,100 Oscars have been given out in history. About 3,100, like, you know, all categories. Yeah. 18 of them belong to black women. You lie. Meryl Streep has more Oscar nominations by herself than black women have actual Oscars in their hand. You that, good, you? <laughs> yeah. So the, and crazy. so it that's why when diversity has become like the new F word in Hollywood, mm-hmm. people get really like I'm like, like show me different and mm-hmm. we'll, and we'll, we'll stop, stop talking com- about it. We'll stop talking about it. So yeah. Yeah. I mean so, look, I I would be so honored, man. Join the list. <laughs> All right. All right. So um <laughs> I need to ask uh last two questions. Uh <laughs> Regarding where you've been in the last like few years, um, you're only as good an actor if you have some snubs under your belt, right? Mm. Uh, and that is in all like Emmys, uh, mm-hmm. Tony's, Tony's, all that stuff, stuff yeah. right? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> where people, are you going with this one? <laughs> people, lo- people loved you in Peacemaker, yeah. and unfortunately, we're not seeing. I don't, I don't think we're seeing Peacemaker anymore. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like It'll a be whole more. thing it's from what James Gunn is yeah. saying. Yeah, and then. Uh, August Wilson's beautiful piano, piano, lesson. piano lesson. I knew we were gonna uh, get there. I, I just, I just <laughs> I like listen. N- no shade at all. Yeah, love me some Danielle Deadweiler. I will fight people for Danielle Deadweiler. I would fight people uh, for Danielle Deadweiler too. Putting that the, on the record, all right? Okay? The, the homie. Um, like where, where, what mm. happened? Where, where? Anything you can share? What is for you is never gonna miss you, mm. and that was for her. Yeah. And she's so talented, so deserving. Um, That's where a lot of my personal work had begun. Because I didn't get Tony nominated for it. That's cool. Whatever. I was actually excited about the list because they were all, I think, first-time Tony nominees Mm -hmm. on new material. Mm -hmm. And that's exciting. But... That one is where you have to learn how to navigate Hollywood. Yep. And learn that your validation, you validating yourself is more important than anyone else's. Like that. But what I also learned, Clayton... I learned so much during that time, man, because it was hard. Mm -hmm. Um, And it goes back to what I was saying, that sometimes your nose, it truly ain't got nothing to do with you. Mm -hmm. There's a path for all of us. And that path of her playing Bernice was for her. 
And I took the L on it because God said, I got something special for you, too. Mm-hmm. But you're going to have to be patient. You're going to have to wait and trust that I got your hand. I ain't never left you this mm-hmm. far in your career. I haven't left you when you didn't get Emmy nominated for um, uh, Orange is the New Black. You mm-hmm. nominated now for a renovation show as mm-hmm. a host. It's your first time hosting. Mm-hmm. So he just is showing me, like, trust the process. So I got you. I got you. And I and I do truly, this is for, you're the first person to ever ask me about it. And, and I truly do celebrate Danielle's. The Danielle's are out here winning. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Listen, I'll take back to back Oscar years with two Danielle's. I'll be first in history, too. Right? I'll, I'll take two Danielle's. I'm, just, go. I'm really excited for her. Um, <laughs> you know, I am. So, and she coming off that till miss last year that we we but that's I'm sure she had her own mm-hmm. story mm-hmm. with that too and yep. so that's why like you have to really surrender to the process where life is going to take you yeah. you have to absolutely because I, if I would have gotten my panties in a bunch about that yeah. and been very vocal about the ups and downs I experienced with that I don't know if I would be here here yeah so thank you for that I'm and learning the last question. <laughs> What do you want people to know about you, about this time? Mm. A lot of this might, I mean, it already has changed your life, but I mean, my, my, again, late brother used to say, uh, say something, you say, you make a plan and God laughs. And I used to like never really get it. And then now even sitting here today, mm. never, I used to say I'm never moving to LA. Mm. LA ain't for me. I'm a New Yorker. Through and through. That's why we. That's why we yeah. bond. Um, but the fact that I'm here is like proof of that. Like sometimes he just got something different. Yeah. In store for you. So what? What? What do you want people to know about you? How this changed you? I'm just going with the flow. This story that I get to sing, or or not even sing, but mm. be a part of, it just reminds me every day of what's important, and mm. it's. My family, it's my friends, it's just the simple parts of life because it's not promised. Yeah. So just make making sure that I enjoy the things and people that matter. Yeah. Um, and I just encourage other people to do the same and not get caught up in, I don't know. Get caught up in the mess, man. Just don't get caught up in the mess and find ways to forgive, mm-hmm. um, which I've had to do in Hollywood, too. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. If yeah, I mean, it's all the stuff that it might it should be sounding cheesy, but it's so true. Like, if you got breath in your body, you still got purpose. Mm-hmm. So even though sometimes I don't always have the direction and know how God is going to move or what to do next. Like I'm still breathing. And so I know like there's still purpose for me here. That's Danielle Brooks, star of the color purple, which opens in theaters on Christmas day. A quintessential that guy performer in the eyes of most audience members, veteran character actor Holt McCallany boasts over 80 credits in a three-decade career, including turns in Nightmare Alley and Netflix's Mindhunter. 
As the hardened patriarch of a family of pro wrestlers in A24 sports drama The Iron Claw, McCallany exudes an intense and thorny power, expertly revealing the dangers of a particular form of pressurized ambition. It's a performance that's reminiscent of J.K. Simmons' Oscar-winning turn as the abusive music teacher in Whiplash. Variety's Clayton Davis spoke to McCallany about coming to peace with many of his scenes that were cut from the film and what we can expect from his upcoming directorial effort after getting script notes from David Fincher. They began by discussing his career origins. Both of my parents uh, were Broadway actors. Uh, my father became a producer, won a Tony Award on Broadway. Uh, my mother was a very well-known nightclub singer uh, who uh, recorded like 31 albums over the course of her long career. Uh, I grew up in the business, and to be honest with you, I never really considered pursuing any other career. Really? It was always acting. Are you one of those that if it wasn't acting, you have no idea what you would have fell into, what career it could have been? Well, you know, Clayton, as as, as crazy as this may sound, I decided I was going to become an actor at like six years old. Mm-hmm. Uh, my mother had a very close friendship a lifelong friendship with a, a lady named Neil Adams, who was the first wife of the great American film star Steve McQueen. Mm. And um, I grew up kind of uh, idolizing that particular guy yeah. and uh, made a decision very, very early in my life uh, that this is what I wanted to do. And it actually became a point of tension with my parents because I wanted to be a child actor. Mm. And um, my parents wanted me to go to school and get an education, you know, go to college, get a degree. And then if you want to become an actor, then we'll support that decision. Um, I didn't like that answer. So when I was 14 years old, I, uh, uh, I ran away from home. I took a Greyhound bus to Los Angeles mm-hmm. with no contacts and with no real strategy of how to become an actor. But I just thought once I get to L.A., I'll figure it out. And I ended up with a job in a screwdriver factory in Gardena unloading trucks. Wow. <laughs> and uh, eventually they tracked me down and sent me to boarding school in Ireland to the same school that my father had attended 40 years earlier. Mm. Um, but uh, I finished high school. I went to uh, I went to theater school in France. And, uh, and then uh, I came back to the United States and immediately got a job as an apprentice actor at the Great Lake Shakespeare Festival in Cleveland, Ohio, the same program that Tom Hanks came out of. Ah. And when I eventually worked with Tom Hanks many years later in a film for Clint Eastwood, I said to him, you know, uh, like you, Tom, I was, I was an apprentice actor at the Great Lake Shakespeare Festival. And he said, come on, you got to be kidding me. Um, but uh, Tom, uh, because, you know, he's such a magnanimous gentleman, you know, and, and, and such a loyal guy, you know, he had remained friends with many of those uh, actors really? that we had both worked with. And they're, they're not guys you would have ever heard of because they're regional theater actors. Yeah. So they, they work in places like Cleveland and Cincinnati and Indianapolis. But they do the classics in rep. And they're really good. And um, so, you know, Tom and I kind of bonded a little bit, you know, uh, over that. Um, But it was after after spending, you know, a summer as an apprentice actor. I went to New York, and then my first job as a professional actor was uh, replacing Woody Harrelson in the Broadway cast of Neil Simon's Biloxi Blues. Ah. Woody was an understudy, 
And then he got uh, a movie uh, called Wildcats with Goldie Hawn yeah. and Wesley Snipes. Mm-hmm. And, um, um, and I was hired uh, to fill in for him. Um, um, and then he famously got cheers and he never came back, but that's, that's how it all began, uh, began. And, uh, I pursued my career in New York, uh, for a number of years until I finally got an opportunity to come to Los Angeles, uh, to do, uh, uh, a movie for HBO about Mike Tyson and which I played a famous boxing trainer named Teddy Atlas, yeah. who has remained uh, a close friend of mine for 30 years. And, and uh, flew to Los Angeles this time, right? No Greyhound bus that next uh, on, that, on, on that occasion, no. Yeah. I was flown out by well, HBO. Yeah, yeah, nice. yeah, yeah. Although I think that the way things are headed, you know, the studio, uh, the studios and the networks will probably be giving us bus tickets before too long. <laughs> um, listen, I... Changed the name of the game of Six Degrees of Kevin Bacon, but I mean, like we have a Six Degrees of of Holt here. Like you've just been in the same circle as so many, which which ends up happening in this business, which I think a lot of people lose sight of. Um, hindsight, were your parents correct about you not not doing it as a child and getting the training, going to school, and finding it later? Do you are you happy with that kind of decision? Well, look, um, you know, they wanted me to have a quote unquote normal childhood, you know, uh, but when your father is an Irish alcoholic and your mom is a nightclub singer, uh, I'm not sure how normal your childhood is going to be. Um, you know, uh, I would watch films and television shows and I would see young actors my age and I would think I could have played that part. What about that? You know, so it was, uh, it was a real challenging thing for my parents and I, you know, you know, to get over. Um, but, uh, in the end, they were very supportive of my decision to become an actor. They eventually realized that, um, how important to me it was. And, uh, and then they tried, to help me, you know, uh, my mom introduced me to an agent and stuff like that. But what people don't, don't often recognize is that, you know, you know, a friend or a person in your family can make a phone call or, you know, or recommend you to someone. But if you don't have what it takes, you're not going to last. And, um, so, and my parents were Broadway people, you know, they weren't, you know, film people, you know, my mother had made a couple of films in Hollywood in the fifties, um, but, uh, and had been offered a a contract by Sam Goldwyn, Mm -hmm. you know, but she, she declined that she didn't want to, she wanted to be very independent. And so she went back to New York, back to Broadway. And I grew up in that environment and, um, yeah, I, I, you know, uh, I think, um, you know, I wish they were still alive, Clayton, because I think that they would be very happy for the the way that things have turned out for me. Yeah. And I think that they would be, you know, very proud of, of, of some of the things that I've been able to accomplish sure. as an actor. And, you know, and, and with the benefit of hindsight, you know, I look back and, you know, I realize that even though I disagreed with that decision at the time, they were acting in what they believed were my best interests. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, thank you for sharing that. Uh, it actually gives a great segue into this great role you play in The Iron Claw, playing uh, Fritz Van, uh, Von Erich, uh, who in the film, you know, and there's people who, who were familiar with the story beforehand, and there are people who are discovering it for the first time. And, you know, if you don't follow wrestling, then you don't really know who uh, 
who the Von Erics were, but he could have easily been the quote unquote villain of the story, but he's not. He there's a an underlying complicated relationship that the audience has that he has with his children. So talk about like just when you first got sent the script, what did you know about uh about him and how did you discover him when you began shooting? Yeah, it's it's a great question. I mean, look, I had been a lifelong fan of combat sports and uh you know, had been involved in amateur boxing. You know, I I played a boxer uh on a television show for FX called Lights Out that mm-hmm. sadly only lasted one season, but it was nevertheless a great experience for me. I had trained for many years in MMA and I had been a fan of professional wrestling, but I hadn't trained in it. And the thing is, Clayton, that if you're gonna play a wrestler, the first thing you have to do is wrestle. Mm. And so uh I uh I got sent the script by Sean Durkin. Mm-hmm. Um, I knew immediately that it was a character that I could play. Uh, and I think you got to be honest with yourself when you're an actor. No actor is right for every part. Mm. And so you have to you have to read a character and you have to say to yourself, yes, I can envision myself as this guy or no, this is not really for me. And I knew immediately that I could play Fritz von Erich. And so I told Sean, I said, uh, you pick the right guy and, uh, I'm going to do a good job for you and I'm not going to let you down. And, uh, and then I went down to, uh, there's a, uh, a wrestling club in Brooklyn, New York, that's run, run by a, uh, an 83 year old gentleman, uh, of whom I'm a, a giant fan. <laughs> he calls himself the unpredictable Johnny Rods. <laughs> And he actually wrestled Kevin Von Erich in Madison Square Garden. So I walked into his office at, at, at his at his gym in Brooklyn at Gleason's gym, and I said, uh, "Mr. Rods, um, uh, you don't know me, but I'm an actor, and I'm going to play Fritz Von Erich in a movie." And he said, "The Iron Claw." And I said, "Yes, the Iron Claw." And after that, um, uh, Johnny really went out of his way uh, to give me a lot of his time and a lot of his attention. Uh, without exaggeration, he would keep his wrestlers uh, in the gym until sometimes one or two in the morning working with me really? and just throwing guys in front of me. Okay, now wrestle Teddy. Now wrestle Christian. Now wrestle Ivan. Now wrestle Adam. And he would just keep throwing guys in front of me. throwing guys, And because... I, there's a lot to understand mm-hmm. about professional wrestling. It's much harder than it looks. It requires tremendous athleticism. It requires tremendous endurance. It requires technique. Mm-hmm. And you have to learn that technique. You, you either know it or you don't. Yeah. And then on top of that, you know, you have to have the charisma and the personality and the imagination to be able to create a character that the wrestling fans are going to respond to. And if you're missing any one of those components, you're not going to be a star in professional wrestling. Yeah. And that's interesting that, you know, because I think that's what uh, people run to when they talk about uh, wrestling, quote unquote, being fake. Right. They think of the character and they're like, oh, the whole thing is fake. Building a character has something to do with the athleticism, the physicality that it takes to, to execute. What did you find the most grueling part of that uh, training exercise so you can play this role of a guy that was so magnanimous and, you know, I mean, look, uh, 
um, it's a very different equation, uh, professional wrestling, than because it's what we call sports entertainment. Mm-hmm. You know, um, in in a boxing match, right, or uh, in a in a, in an MMA fight, you know, what are you trying to do? You're trying to hurt your opponent, and you want to end the fight as soon as possible so that you don't get hurt yourself in, in, in professional wrestling. Um, you don't want to hurt your opponent mm-hmm. if you can help it because you got to wrestle that same guy probably next week, yeah. you know? And, um, so you got to learn to be able to sell those shots and sell the bumps and make it look as good as you can possibly make it. Um, but at the same time, you know, uh, be cognizant of the fact that the propensity for injury is absolutely huge. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, you, you, and, and, and you don't, you don't want to hurt your opponent. Now, look, different guys, um, have different styles. And some guys, if you'll, if you'll let me put it this way, like to put a little more sugar on it oh, than yeah, other yeah. guys do, you know? Um, but, uh, uh, that was, that was one of the really challenging things for me is because not only do you need to learn how to wrestle, you want to learn how to wrestle in the style of a particular wrestler. Yeah. So I need to be, I need to, I need to be able to wrestle like Fritz von Erich. And, you know, Fritz was a, a, a very strong guy, um, very athletic guy, um, had been a football player before he became a wrestler and, uh, and was, uh, was a real tough guy in there to the point where some wrestlers, uh, didn't want to wrestle him <laughs> because they were afraid they'd get injured. So, I mean, like all great, Actors, when they approach a role, you have to walk into the role with very little judgment or no judgment at all about the person you're portraying. What were your thoughts about him as a father figure, as uh, the way the story unfolds? You know, there's a lot of there. There's it's more complicated than just like a, a, a family where kids die and commit suicide. There's obviously layers upon layers of uh items that we as viewers are wrestling with what did you wrestle with for with knowing him or knowing knowing about him yeah it's a great question i mean you know first of all fritz died in 1997 so you know the ideal situation when you're playing a real person would be, uh, for example, you know, I referenced the Tyson film for HBO as the first one that brought me out to L.A. Well, I was playing a, a, a famous boxing trainer named Teddy Atlas. Well, he's still alive, yeah. and he's still a personal friend of mine. And I was able to say to him, Mr. Atlas, I'm going to play you in a film. I'd love to meet with you and talk with you. And he invited me down to the gym. At the time, he was training a guy named Michael Moore, who became heavyweight champion of the world when he defeated Evander Holyfield. And uh, I spent a lot of time with him in the gym. I spent a lot of time with you know, with his family, he invited me into his home. And um, I wasn't able to do that with Fritz because Fritz was deceased. So you have to, um, you have to, uh, you know, uh, do, do, do as much, much research as you can. So you're, you know, you're reading biographies, you're watching documentaries, you're listening to podcasts, in addition to the physical training and watching all of his old matches and stuff like that. And, um, and you begin to get a sense of what the essence of the guy uh, really is. 
Um, now, if you read the so-called wrestling experts, you will discover that there are a lot of people out there that have a lot of disparaging things to say about Fritz von Erich, mm-hmm. that he was very controlling, that he exploited family tragedy for commercial gain and stuff like this. Um, I didn't see him that way, and I still don't. Uh, I think that uh, he was a family man. Um, he was uh, uh, a genuinely religious guy. He uh, was a guy who was in love with one woman for his entire life. And he was a guy who was tremendously proud of his sons mm. and wanted his sons to be as successful as they could possibly be and was willing to do anything within his power to help them achieve that. Yeah. Um, there's, you know, in the, in the film we see him uh, – in interactions with 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 his children, uh, interacting with his wife, there there's again so much that is presented in in the movie. But I know, like all movies, there's a lot more that's written on the page that doesn't make it into the final cut. Are there any particular scenes that we don't we don't see in the movie that you felt would have gave more understanding to who he was as a man? Uh, look, I mean. Uh Yes. The answer to that question is yes. I mean, uh, as an actor, the only thing that you can do is try to give a director your best work. Mm -hmm. Um, But it's all going to come down to what they keep and what they throw away. Um, I will admit to you that there were certain scenes that I thought deserved to be in the movie, which did not make the final cut. Um, and, uh, that was a, a, a very difficult thing for me. And, you know, and I had, uh, conversations with Sean Durkin, you know, about it. Isn't there any way we can put back the scene with the chat in the chapel? Do you know what I mean? Is it, you know, um, because I wanted, uh, the audience to, to, to understand, uh, that he's a tremendously complex guy and that even though he was a tough guy, he, he, he there was a vulnerable side to Fritz. I think that when his wife uh, left him after 40 years of marriage, I, I, I think, the, you know, he was bereft, you know, um, you know, he died a few years later. And, you know, uh, I think that, um, you know, uh, uh, he experienced uh, a lot of pain, you know, um, as you might expect. You know, when, when, you know, he remember now, Fritz von Erich lost his first son when Jack Jr., yeah. right? Because Fritz is obviously originally Jack Atkinson. Yeah. Fritz von Erich was, you know, uh, uh, the name that he chose when he became a professional wrestler because he was a heel. Mm-hmm. Right. You're either a baby face or you're a heel. <laughs> and Fritz was a heel. And he used to do a thing, you know, in the 1950s, uh, there was still a lot of anti-German sentiment mm-hmm. after the war. And so Fritz used to do something where he would impersonate a Nazi. Do you know what I mean? Just to be, you know, as uh, to be the antagonist, to be yeah. the heel. And um, and he was really he was really good at it. And tragically, um, his son, his son, Jack Jr., uh, died at six years old. And, uh, but, you know, he, you know, he had, he had five other sons, right? He had, uh, 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 David and, uh, and Kevin and, and Carrie and Mike and Chris. And as you know, uh, from having seen the film, you know, uh, the first one of, of those, uh, to pass away, um, tragically was David Von Erich. 
who died under rather mysterious circumstances in a hotel room in Japan. And um, I think that was devastating for Fritz because you have to remember that there was one brief shining moment when David and, and Kevin and Carrie were the biggest stars in Texas wrestling. And, you know, and not only was Fritz their father and their coach, but he was also the owner of the organism of, of the promotion. Yeah. So, you know, uh, I think he took tremendous pride in his son's success. I think he was a devoted family man. And I think that the people who would try to suggest that, you know, the reason, you know, for the suicides, you know, or, 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 or the drug abuse issues, you know, that existed, first of all, drugs were rampant in the eighties in yeah. the, in, in, in professional wrestling and in other businesses as well. But Fritz was born in the twenties. Fritz never did cocaine. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? This was, he was not from that generation. You know, he did you know, uh, uh, but there are people out there who would like to blame everything on Fritz, you know, and, uh, it's, it's I think, easy to do that part. Pardon? It's, it's easy to do that part. Yeah. It's, it's, it's easy to do, but it's inaccurate and it's a gross oversimplification of mm. what the interpersonal dynamics were within the family. His sons really looked up to him and admired him. Yeah. And, you know, uh, just to give credit to my fellow actors, you know, uh, uh, to, to Zach and uh, to, to, to Jeremy, Jeremy Allen White, Harris Dickinson, Stanley Simons, you know, um, they were all, you know, such, uh, uh, respectful, you know, and, and talented guys that, uh, they made my job a lot easier. Yeah. Uh, I, I, for people who don't know, when you, when you're referring to the chapel scene, it, I, I, I'm not sure, even sure, uh, what, what scene, uh, that's for, I, I assume there was a chapel scene in which he was. Yes. Praying. So this, this is, this is a scene that was very special to me. And even Sean indicated that it was one of his two or three favorite scenes mm -hmm. that we shot. And um, it's a scene where uh, my son, Mike, um, has had a terrible shoulder injury that required surgery. And during the course of that surgery, he develops something called toxic shock syndrome. And he falls into a coma. Yeah. And he's literally at death's door. And remember, by this time, not only have has Fritz lost Jack Jr., his first son, but he's also lost David Von Erich yeah. in, in, in Tokyo. And David was kind of like the one that had been anointed to become the big star yeah. of the Von Erich dynasty. And, you know, Fritz goes into the chapel. And as I said, I, I, I really believe that he was a genuinely religious man. And he has a, a conversation with God. Mm. And he's basically saying, what did I ever do to deserve to be visited with such tragedy in my family? Um, and um, it's not a long scene, but it was a very powerful scene. Mm. And um, it was something that I personally felt... Uh, deserved to be in the film. Yeah. But, you know, as an actor, Clayton, um, uh, you know, you can give a director your best work, but it's always going to come down to what they keep and what they throw away. Yeah. And, uh, you know, uh, Sean made the determination um, that the scene would be eliminated. Um, and, uh, you know, I, 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 I fought for it, but I lost that battle. Yeah. 
I was a uh, ask anyone that's been in a Terrence Malick movie about like you know getting their scenes cut uh, right. tremendously. That yeah. that always becomes an interesting conversation. Good point. Um, I have to I have to allow you to uh, give some grace and and um, clout to your co-star Maury Tierney, yep. who I adore so much in this business, and who I think one of the few actors that works today that can break your heart without saying a word. She she has a way to convey grief and hurt and like I, I remember crying in the movie and just looking at her. She wasn't even saying anything. Mm-hmm. Um, how was it to work with her? It's a very very talented uh, person. Yeah, in this place. you know uh, I adore Amora. <laughs> um, I felt like we had uh, tremendous chemistry together as a married couple. Yeah. Um, uh, she and I also had a couple of very beautiful scenes that sadly didn't make it into the cut, but you know, um, but we shot them and they were great. And, uh, and, 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 and she's great. And, you know, um, having a scene partner like her, uh, uh, was, was, was a tremendous advantage for me because as I said, you know, um, Fritz was a guy who was in love with one woman his entire life. Yeah. And that was Doris, Mora's character. And when she ultimately leaves him, he is bereft. And, um, you know, we see just a glimpse at the end of the movie that the relationship has, that the marriage has changed a little bit when I come in and she's painting and I say, what's for dinner? And she says, I'm not hungry. And, you know, uh, it's clear that, She's not going to continue to be his wife mm-hmm. in the way that she had been previously. Um, but, uh, yeah, just in answer to your question, uh, you're right. Yeah. She's great. Awesome. Uh, looking a little bit at, uh, we've got two more questions. Uh, what you have coming up, uh, current, according to your IMDb, it's always according to IMDb, right? Uh, filming the next Mission Impossible. You've, I think you just finished that. You have a, a movie coming out, The Amateur. I also know that you direct as well. What, what, uh, what kind of things do you have cooking in the, um, whole, whole well, look, picture? you know, um, I, uh, I fell in love with a film, uh, by the great, uh, Italian director, Giuseppe Tornatore, who, uh, is probably best known for an international hit called Cinema Paradiso, mm-hmm. which won the Academy Award for Best Foreign Language Film. And the film that he made right after Paradiso was a beautiful film called The Star Maker. In Italian, it's Uomo de Cella. And, um, I saw the movie and I felt that it would make a great English language adaptation. So I contacted, uh, Mr. Torn- Mr. Tornatori's attorneys, um, in Rome, uh, through my attorneys in Los Angeles. The problem was I reached out to him. I was shooting a film, um, with, uh, with Guy Ritchie, uh, uh, and Jason Statham called Wrath of Man. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, this is kind of like the end of 2019, you know, and then, you know, beginning of 2020, I reach out to Tornatori. But almost as soon as I did that, the pandemic hit. And if you remember, Italy was hit harder than any country in Europe in the early stages of the pandemic. I mean, people were literally dying, you know, uh, right and left. And so, um, and, and on top of that, 
it's a 10 hour time difference. So, you know, between Los Angeles and Rome. So, you know, my attorneys are in LA, his attorneys are in Rome. They're never in the office at the same time, even if they were in the office and nobody was in the office. So the deal took about two years to put together, but eventually I got the rights. Uh, We did an adaptation and, um, and then uh, I wrote to uh, my good friend, uh, David Fincher. And um, I asked him if he would, be willing to give me his notes on the script. Mm. And, um, you know, uh, he's a very, very generous person and somebody that I had a long professional relationship Mm. with and a long friendship with. And, uh, he gave me, uh, I mean, we did, we would do three hour zoom sessions twice a week, you know, for, he gave me like 40 or 50 hours of his time and, uh, helped me to really find the essence of the story. And he, you know, was instrumental in transforming the screenplay. So, you know, um, when the movie comes out, you know, if you, if you, if you like it, (laughs) I'm not going to be able to take uh, much of the credit for it. (laughs) Because David's influence was just tremendously important. That's actor Holt McCallany, star of The Iron Claw, now in theaters. And that's it for this edition of Variety's Award Circuit Podcast. Zach Levin edited this episode and Michael Schneider is the producer. Be sure to subscribe to the Award Circuit Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you download podcasts. Also, head on over to Variety.com and click on the Award Circuit tab to find the latest awards predictions and key races, as well as your daily fix of news, analysis, and reviews. For Jazz Hanke, Janelle Riley, and Clayton Davis, I'm Michael Schneider, and we'll see you on the circuit. This podcast is proudly supported by Netflix presenting Maestro. Nominated for four Golden Globe Awards, including Best Motion Picture, Drama, Best Director and Actor, Bradley Cooper, and Best Actress, Carrie Mulligan. With an ensemble cast that includes Matt Bomer, Maya Hawke, and Sarah Silverman. Bradley Cooper's performance will be talked about for years. And Carrie Mulligan is pure perfection. Empire raves, Maestro is full of brilliant filmmaking. Maestro, for your consideration in all categories.